Welcome, everybody, to the Informed Secular Minds podcast. It is really, really good to be back. Uh, If you are not doing it already, I'm going to hit it right at the top. Give us a follow on Twitter and on Periscope. The show handle is ISM Podcast underscore. The Periscope is live right now. Our good friend, Young Athlon 399, is hosting the Periscope for us this evening as per usual. Uh, he filled in uh, a couple of weeks ago because I was traveling, did a fantastic job. Uh, we were off last week. We are back now. Um, you can follow myself on Twitter at Dopinephrine. That's D-O-P-I-N-E-P-H-R-I-N-E. And you can follow Scott, my intrepid co-host, at El Duderino, E-L-D-U-D-E-I-R-E-N-O. Um, If you're enjoying the show, if you're learning from the show, if you want to throw us a couple of bucks, please do that. Go to uh, www.patreon.com slash informed podcast. You can become a patron there. We sure do appreciate that. It's been it's been a crazy few weeks in uh, my life. Uh, When 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 they did the um, the episode on prayer, uh, I only got to listen to the last 45 minutes or so of that episode, I was in Birmingham, Alabama at the time. Um, my, uh, my mom who lived in Austin, Texas, uh, moved from there to Southern Pennsylvania where I grew up. Uh, she's, uh, she's gonna, she's gonna go and help take care of her mom, my grandmother. Uh, so we, we had to, we had to move all of her, all of her stuff across the country. So we started in, started in Austin and drove, um, all the way across the country to Pennsylvania. And then after a couple of days there unpacking and whatnot, flew back to Denver and then drove back home. We did all of that in a week. Uh, we traveled like 5,000 miles in, uh, in seven days, maybe more than that. It was absolutely insane. Um, but we are back now. I am, I am thrilled to be back in front of my computer, back in my house. Same old headphones. Oh, it's a beautiful feeling. I'm very, very excited. Scott, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really good. Uh, I really enjoyed last week's uh, or uh, the week before with with Marisville and Young Apple. That was a good time. We had real fun doing that uh, prayer episode. Uh, I'm glad that you're back. Uh, I liked uh, the picture you uh, sent out from Austin. That was pretty exciting. That was exciting. I, uh, for those who aren't following me on, on Twitter, um, that Sunday, was that um, the 18th? I can't remember the date. The, that Sunday when I was in Austin, Texas, I availed myself of the opportunity, and I went and visited uh, the Free Thought Library in Austin where they broadcast the Atheist Experience show uh, hosted by, uh, well, several people, but um, uh, most famously probably Matt Dillahunty. Um, and I got to be there to actually, to actually see it go down. They were so full that the, that the studio was, was packed. There was no more room for, uh, the audience. So it ended up spilling out a bit into one of the back rooms there. Um, and so, uh, I, I spent most of the, most of the live broadcast, uh, hanging out with some of the, some of the support crew for the show. Uh, and they were streaming the episode, live into this back room on a big TV. So we, we had like this awesome, instead of just watching, we, we ended up getting into a, a huge conversation back there and, and kind of commenting on the callers as it was happening live. It was, it was so much fun. Uh, I got to know oh, a, a lot of people. It was, you know, it was, I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to go uh, up here in Cody. Um, 
there's there's not much in the way of a, of a public atheist or secular community, um, and Austin is is sort of known for having that. Um, so you know, afterwards we all went to dinner at a, at an Indian restaurant. Something else I don't get to do much of in uh, in northern Wyoming. Not a lot of Indian cuisine up here, uh, but we all went there and I ended right. up having some conversations with these with these really just dynamic, fascinating people people from the audience, free thinkers from the Austin area. Uh, we hung out way later than we should have. Uh, uh, my poor mom was, was waiting for us to get back and we're just having this, this great free form conversation. And, you know, eventually you look at the clock and you're like, Oh man, you got to get out of here. So we, we, uh, we finally bailed. <laughs> it would be hard home. to pull yourself away from that. It, I mean, I could have gone till dawn with those people. It was, uh, it was fantastic. So for anybody who is not familiar with the atheist experience, uh, do yourself a favor. Follow those guys on Twitter. Uh, definitely follow uh, Matt Dillahunty. Uh, and you can watch those episodes live every Sunday on their YouTube channel. They stream them live. Uh, you can also uh, call in and be on their show, though they do give pretty significant priority to uh, uh, theists, people that call in yeah. who actually believe in God. A lot of atheists call the show. Okay. All right. Well, that's probably enough. We do, after all, have a show to do. Um, tonight's topic is going to be primarily focused on the idea of heaven and hell. But before we get to the heart of the episode, um, I wanted to talk about just a, just a small uh, secular issue. Usually we do something bridging between uh, uh, politics and religion, something where the separation of church and state is somehow um, in danger or in the news. Um, but today I just wanted to talk about this, this little thing that happened because it happened in Pinedale, Wyoming. Um, and it's not often that, that Wyoming ends up making national news. But in Pinedale, which is, by the way, as the flow cry, as, as the flow cries, as the crow flies, less than a hundred miles from Cody. But to drive there is like five hours because <laughs> there are all these fucking mountains. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have to stretch them like way, like the opposite direction to get around a mountain, and then in between two others, and eventually you get there. It's ridiculous. But uh, all that aside, in Pinedale. And I, I, I pulled this from, uh, from NBC News. The Wyoming Supreme Court on Tuesday, yesterday, censored a state judge for publicly stating her refusal to perform same-sex marriage ceremonies, citing religious objections. By a 3-2 to two vote, the court said Ruth Neely, a magistrate in the small northwestern Wyoming town of Pinedale, violated the state's code of judicial conduct. No judge can turn down a request to perform a marriage for reasons that undermine the integrity of the judiciary by demonstrating a lack of independence and impartiality. The court said she must either perform marriage ceremonies regardless of the couple's sexual orientation or decline to perform any marriage ceremonies at all. The state's Judicial Ethics Commission recommended that Neely be relieved of her position as a magistrate after she told the local newspaper that she would not be able to do religious ceremonies for gay couples. Quote, when law and religion conflict, choices have to be made, she told the Pinedale Roundup. Well, there's a statement I would tend to agree with. If right. you're a judge, if, uh, if, law and conflict conf uh, if law and religion conflict, yeah, choices do have to be made. Um, 
In a letter to the state's Judicial Ethics Advisory Committee, she wrote, Homosexuality is a named sin in the Bible, as are drunkenness, thievery, lying, and the like. I can no more officiate at a same-sex wedding than I can buy beer for an alcoholic. That's lovely. The state Supreme Court declined to remove her from her position based on her long career as a municipal court judge, for which she is widely respected, so on and so forth. Um, Her lawyer, Jim Campbell of the Arizona-based Alliance Defending Freedom, said the court recognized that her honorable beliefs about marriage do not disqualify her from serving her community as a judge, which she has done with distinction for more than two decades. Tuesday's ruling said every state judicial ethics commission that has considered the question concluded that judges violate codes of judicial conduct when they refuse to perform marriages for same-sex couples. Yeah, that's obvious. If um, if your if your if your job, if your duty, if your public service as as a as a judge conflicts with your religious conviction, and you decide that your religious conviction is more important when doing your judicial job, that's a drastic conflict of interest. Um, that's precisely why we embrace secularism. You can sit at home and and not like gay marriage. You don't have to. For example, get gay married. But when you're a judge, you're not operating just as the person you are at home. You're judge. You're you're operating as a uh, as a representative of the state. You're you're performing a role that is done not based on personal views or religion, but based on the law of the land and the fact that we have a society that, at least in the United States, is typically backed up by laws and documents and, and, and all of this. You, you have a duty to perform your job when you are a judge, and it is unacceptable for you to decide that your duty that you have sworn an oath to can be suspended because you think Jesus doesn't like it. Why don't you let Jesus worry about that? Why don't you let God worry about that and do your job as a judge since that's the occupation that you have chosen? Well, and there seems to be a little bit of a to me, the the analogy she used um, about I, I could no you know no more do a officiate a same sex wedding that I could buy beer for an alcoholic. That's a little off because no one's asking her to pay for their wedding, right? So she, mm-hmm. Buying the beer for the alcoholic is is you know you you know you providing that for them. Um, they're they're you know paying for their own wedding. That would be like the. Uh, the bartender refusing to serve the alcoholic and you can't refuse to serve the alcoholic. You can refuse to serve someone who's too drunk already. You know, Mm. they're like, you can cut them off. And that's, that would be the same as like not marrying somebody who's already married. Right. But it just, it just struck me as a little off. Yeah. Very good point. I, uh, I hadn't actually considered that. Um, I, I just kind of found it to be a, a bit distasteful because uh, there's definitely an insinuation that uh, alcoholism is is you know bad. Uh, you know we can we can have a discussion about the nature of addiction and uh, what alcoholism yeah. actually is, but there's definitely a connotation alcoholism. Right, it's kind of tantamount right. to being a degenerate, right? And, and she's suggesting that. Uh, Right. Uh, that having having a problem where you abuse alcohol is basically the same thing as you know being in love with another human being, which is a little bit gross. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Hey, did you hear about? And this isn't this isn't really 
this isn't really associated in any way with uh, atheism or secularism. I just find it fascinating as as uh, as the executive branch continues to uh, melt down and, and and damage itself. Um, did you see what what, what Trump uh, President Trump um, tweeted about President Obama? I did not. I know you wanted to talk about something like that, so I just figured I'd hear it from you. Yeah, it's 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 really um, surprising to me. So Donald Trump, with no evidence, uh, with no sourcing whatsoever, just got on Twitter on Saturday morning and said, hey, um, Barack Obama tapped Trump Tower while I was running for president. The former president wiretapped Donald Trump's phones in order to fuck with him politically. That's that's an extraordinary claim. Um, what what really strikes me about this is that I cannot imagine any other president saying that without being able to back that up. If you're going to say something about as president about another president, you should be goddamn sure that what you're saying is accurate. I'm trying to think if a president would say it, even if it was true. I don't think they would. To just smear it out there and, you know, air the dirty laundry, so to speak, seems that the office of the presidency would be above that sort of thing and just kind of deal with it internally. Right. I mean, you should, if if you actually, you know, had evidence, if there was a, a documented order of this, or you had, you know, recordings in the Oval Office of the president ordering this, or uh, the FBI came to you and said, hey, now that you're the president, we should tell you that you were wiretapped by the former president while he was in power. Maybe you should bring that up. I, I still don't know that they actually would, but you know, at that point, a serious crime has been committed, and the American yeah. people probably deserve to know it. Uh, Some sort of have to know it. Maybe, maybe not Twitter. Maybe not Twitter. Yeah, maybe maybe something a little more formal than that. Um, maybe you would get all of your ducks in a row and file some 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 paperwork on this before you just you know. And and by the way, like I, I forget, like an hour later, he was tweeting about how Arnold Schwarzenegger sucks. Like. Something this momentous, like the pre- you're saying that the president is out to get you personally and has been trying to fuck you over, and it can't even hold your attention for more than an hour because you're right on hitting somebody else who has nothing to do with the, you know you're mad at him over ratings on a TV show. Um, it's it's so surreal. It's so bizarre. Well, something like when I ran the show, I had much better ratings than when you run it. Is that? Yeah, essentially. That's basically what he's saying, that Arnold Schwarzenegger is getting fired from The Apprentice because I did a better job. Like, why do you still care about The Apprentice, man? This is like, this is like uh, uh, right. being, being made partner at a law firm and then taking the time to show everybody the cool artwork you did in preschool. Like, you've moved <laughs> on. That was a little TV show that you used to be a part of. Now you're the leader of the free world, and you're still making sure time out of what is presumably a busy schedule – to lash out at at, a, at, a, at another entertainer. 
Um, that's just well, like I had another entertainer. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, he's technically uh, a hey. government official now, but he's he's his whole career he's been an, an entertainer. He's definitely um, an entertainer. Here's here here was here was my thought when I was watching all this happen over the weekend. I've had conversations with people about politics where they've stated something along the lines of um, so-and-so should be in prison, right? Um, we, should, we should try George W. Bush for war crimes, and we should imprison him for it. Or I can't wait for Donald Trump to, to get caught doing something so bad that it's you know, a, a felony, and we can put him in prison. That kind of talk bothers me a little bit. First off, the point of prison is to remove somebody from the general population so that they can't do what they did again, right? The whole idea here is, well, um, you're out there robbing people, so we're going to put you in, uh, in, a, in a room that's locked so that you can't rob people because we're, we're trying to protect all the people that don't rob. Or you, know, you, 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 you keep stabbing people, and we don't like it when you stab people, so we're going to put you in a place where you, know, you don't have access to knives and victims. Impeaching a president, determining that they have done something illegal, and then removing them from office is sufficient to keep them from doing it again. So putting a, putting a former president in prison would be purely punitive. And I, and I kind of reject that as a, as a way of doing things already. But we are talking about a president of the United States. Imagine the psychological impact of watching footage of one of the most famous people on the planet, president of the United States, doing a perp walk. There's a, there's a reason why Ford pardoned Nixon, and that is still a bit controversial, and people still get a little upset about it and think that he shouldn't have done that. I think I would have done it too. Nixon was shamed, and his, his political career was destroyed, and he was removed from office where he could do this kind of thing again. That is completely sufficient. What's he going to do now? Let him go into retirement and be gone. He's, he's, he's done. I don't like this idea that we want to put presidents in prison as some kind of political statement or some kind of uh, validation, some kind of vengeance, because you have 30, 40, 50 million people that voted for this individual. You had this person representing the United States on the national stage, domestically and foreign. This, this is the person that represented our country, and now we're going to put that person in prison. For the same reason that I think that that's a negative psychological thing to do to the population, I think just randomly trying to – retroactively harm the reputation of a president when you are the president is just as reckless. 
you are now the president. You represent that office. What are you doing to the integrity of that office when you just start throwing stuff around that has no basis in fact? It is nothing more than the abuse of the bully pulpit. When the president says stuff, people listen. That's a message that gets out there. People talk about it. People consider it, discuss it. It goes into the historical record, for God's sakes. Throwing dirt on your predecessors, damaging the presidency while you are the president, is not something to be taken lightly. I think that Trump did this as a way of directing attention in the news cycle away from his own problems. Something I can come up with. His entire administration doesn't know how to handle his weird claims. Nobody is backing this up. The FBI has essentially said, no, absolutely untrue. Obama has denied it. There's nothing to back this up. He's just throwing mud in the water. He's just trying to make the former president look bad. And that does damage to the office that he is responsible for maintaining now. He is the president. He has a responsibility to protect the reputation of the Oval Office. At the same time, when you use the bully pulpit to just spout bullshit, you destroy the credibility of the bully pulpit. You fundamentally change and damage the ability we have to believe the thing said from that office. It's something that he should be ashamed of and something that he should stop doing immediately. This is not a game. This is not something that you just do. You don't just take stabs at other leaders, at former presidents, with no evidence in order to try to make yourself look not as bad as you are. I feel like it's, you know, um, whether it's just him being a blowhard and that's just what he does and he just can't help himself, or even a, a strategic uh, you know, plot at like just keeping the populace confused. I'll, I'll talk about something serious right alongside of Arnold Schwarzenegger and his TV show. I'll talk about something fake, uh, and then I'll talk about something real. And I'll just I'll just get them not trusting governments of the past, uh, the media of the present, and look have them looking at me as the guy they can trust, the guy that'll give them the real download. Yeah, the tactic, the tactic again and again appears to be um, confuse everything so that nobody can tell up from down, left from right. Just, just exactly make the make make everything as muddy as but possible. Trust and, that I trust that I have it figured out, and I'm yeah. going to do what's best for you, even when that's demonstrably untrue. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, that was fun. I, uh, I went a little long there, guys, but uh, appreciate, I appreciate. I've been thinking about that quite a bit. I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate everybody's attention for that. Let's 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 move forward. What was what was the last truth pursuit that you did, Scott? It uh, was uh, a biogenesis, and uh, I I put out some uh, some links there at the beginning of it. I've had a pretty crazy week, so I wasn't on Twitter a lot this week, but. We're going to move forward um, with this week's topic, which is going to be the uh, age of the earth. As we've done uh, Noah's flood and we, we, uh, 
we covered evolution and uh, abiogenesis, and now we're getting into the age of the earth because I, I to me, those uh, those other things were like leading to this topic. Um, the Noah's flood uh, narrative says that the Grand Canyon was formed a different way. Says that evolution happened a different way. Um, has a has an age of the earth off of the genealogy of the survivors. Um, the that age of the earth is why a lot of theists won't accept evolution because they won't accept a long time. So um, we were just gonna going to get right to the age of the earth this time around. This whole week we tweeting back and forth about different ways we can measure the age of the earth and why they're accurate or why they're not accurate. Yeah, I would be very interested in learning more about that myself. Um, I've got, I've got a, a fairly solid understanding of uh, evolutionary theory of natural selection of, of fossil records of things like this, but um, yeah, what exactly is the process by which um, uh, what would it be? Geologists um, can, yeah. can determine the age of the earth. Um, some of if, that is, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Some of that is um, uranium to lead uh, half-life breakdowns and um, you know, the, 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 the decay constants of radioactive materials, but there are several other ways and they, they correlate all these together to come up with these, the answers that they have for that. Yeah. I remember learning at some point that there are uh, certain like uh, isotopes um, that, that we know were, were only present due to various bombardments at, at certain periods. Um, and you can, isolate an isotope and you can determine how, like you were just saying, the half-life, you can, you can determine how long it takes for an isotope to decay, which is a very, very long time. Uh, and then you can find those isotopes locked in the crust of the earth or, or deep beneath ice or what have you. Um, and you can, you can measure uh, how far they've decayed. I'm sure that that would go a long way in, in, in providing at least uh, supportive evidence for, uh, for the age of the earth. But, um, it's, 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 it's fairly consistent. Everybody, uh, there seems to be scientific con, uh, um, consensus, uh, on the age of, uh, on the age of the planet. I would be very interested to, uh, to see what yeah, people have yeah, to there, say. Um, JJ on, uh, uh, Periscope was asking if, uh, observing accretion discs matter. Um, I wonder if he's referring to like, um, new ones that we're seeing in, in, in new systems that we're finding in our uh, galaxy where suns have formed and their accretion disks, which is basically what, you know, which what our rocky planets came out of was the accretion disk off of our sun. If we're seeing those, if that matters, I guess it would matter if, um, you know, if we can look at the processes and, and then extrapolate, you know, through math, how long it would take, it would absolutely matter. Yeah. That'd be something to bring up. Um, yeah. JJ, if you got any more information on that, just, Send, send some tweets out with it, some links. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm 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 very excited to uh, to learn more about this. If you've got information on this, or or you uh, or you think you can challenge the age of the Earth, um, uh, if you've got some resources oh, in sure. mind that, that help explain this, um, hit up hit up Scott uh, at El Duderino E L D U D E I R E N O on Twitter. Send him some links. Have a conversation with him. 
Um, uh, there might even be a, a Periscope later in the week where you guys can discuss that a little more openly. Um, I'm looking forward to learning something about that. That's a, that's a good one. That's yeah, a good so one. It's a good pursuit episode. Okay. Well, we are, we are almost, uh, almost 30 minutes in. Um, we've got quite a bit of information to go over uh, about the old notion of heaven and hell. Um, mankind has long been interested in the idea of an afterlife. Where do people go when they die? Um, and I think that we should uh, that we should get going on that for the main for the main portion of the show. That's what we're going to be discussing. In a few recent episodes, we focused pretty heavily on uh, Protestant and Catholic ideas, um, and that that I think was good. Um, I, I like having the diversity of, of hitting a lot of stuff, but in a two-hour show, you know, the more you hit a particular topic, the deeper you can go. Um, of course, I think uh, most of our listeners are probably most affected by uh, Christianity if they're affected by a religion. Uh, it's certainly the one that impacts our society domestically the most. So it's uh, and it's the one that that we are most familiar with because we used to be Christians once upon a time. Um, and yet, I think I think that that tonight we definitely want to um, delve into other notions of, of heaven and hell, like uh, uh, the Islam idea of heaven and hell. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Hinduism, um, yeah. but you can't get away from it. We we, we want to start here with uh, with some with some Christian ideas. Now, most people listening probably already know what Christianity says about heaven, more or less. It, there's no need for us to academically stitch through all of the verses and, and, and here's exactly how, because that's, that's, that's teaching you what heaven is. That's not the point here. Uh, the point here is to, is to discuss this as a narrative and, and how it applies to people's lives from a secular or uh, atheist standpoint. Um, but that said, I was thinking we should... We should start here with uh, with 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 at least the narrative as presented in Revelation. Yeah, I mean we have to know what we're talking about, the place that we're talking about. Um, Revelation twenty one mentions the new earth, the new earth and heavens, taking uh, a moment to let us know that the new earth will have no sea. Um, which I don't even know why why that's important, but that's a good thing, apparently. Uh, it then describes the city of God with a, a few details. It won't need the light of the sun or moon because God lights it personally. The city is made of solid gold, and a tall wall with 12 gates goes around it. The wall has 12 foundations, and they were each covered with various precious jewels. The city will arrive at the new earth, as John describes, watching it coming down from God out of heaven. Christians sometimes disagree on whether this means the city will land on earth or stand above it. it always, always the description of jewels. Uh, I, I remember mm. thinking about this when I was a kid. Um, God has, has a bit of a, a fetish for, for like uh, valuable stuff, right? Like what we hold is valuable on the planet. He also holds as valuable in heaven um he, he's into gold and gems and jewels and uh it's 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 funny to me that uh that that you know 
God, God is a little bit of a miser. It seems, you know, it's just, um, for me, it suggests that, that the people trying to describe all of this were trying to figure out what would be impressive and they just went with what impressed them. Well, it, it, it absolutely says that to me. And then when I think about if, if the entire universe is God's creation and there are, um, planets out there that are uh, made of such dense carbon that they're basically diamonds, just small planetoid diamonds. Um, and he, if he's the creator of all things, he created those and he, he didn't put heaven there on a solid diamond. <laughs> he put right. it here in this place, put what he knows with dirt and mud because it just comes from the people who were here and had no idea of the existence of, you know, planetoids made out of diamonds. If they valued those things, why some jewels and planted in? Why not a an entire planet made out of it that exists it's right out there? I, I I've always been curious about why heaven has uh, physical dimensions at all. Um, it's it's interesting to me that it's all about the soul and God is a transcendent being and all these spirits and and angels and and He had to like change His form and come to Earth as Jesus because God himself can come here. And yet there's still this reliance on, you know, we, we can, we can specifically know um, how big this place is and that there are 12 foundations of the wall and what precious jewels are there. And all of the precious jewels, by the way, are found on earth. Right. Um, There's the idea, like you said, that um, once it starts getting specific measurements of the place, it kind of falls apart. Like the, the Noah's thing that when they give us those specific measurements and we're like, okay, let's put them to the test. Is this plausible for this place or this building or the ship that you're you're talking about when you give us these measurements? But um, the other aspect of why is it why is it a physical realm? You know, if it's about the soul, and there's um, I'm just going from kind of the, my, uh, a memory like. Um, don't the Jews believe something where the body has to be all together when it's buried because mm. of being bodily risen or put back together in heaven? And I, I believe that the Catholics have something like that as well, because when one of the, when Pope John Paul II had, wasn't he the one had the assassination attempt? Um, he was shot and they had to do a surgery. The piece that they removed from him, they kept in a jar. And then the same thing with, like, I think he had to have his appendix removed, and they kept that in the jar as well so that when he's buried, they could put it with the body. This is um, why a lot of theists or a lot of uh, Christians in America don't um, become organ donors because they believe they need to be buried with all of their parts. Interesting. Okay. Um, I know that that uh, and and Zafara has talked about this in the in the in the past um, that there are you know like body parts that the Catholic Church is just hanging on to so and so's I don't know foreskin or fingertip or whatever and they will they will like go around the world with you know like so and so's decrepit ancient mummified heart. And all the Catholics will like go out and see it. Uh, like there's some power in the in the, oh, in the wow. piece of a saint. Like they they have this weird like that was that was that used to be part of a human being that was a saint. Therefore, there's some kind of a power in this. There's a lot of that that kind of um, uh, ritualistic 
as if as if a body part is imbued. Right. There was um there was a one of the one of the you know you have to have uh two confirmed miracles to become a saint in the Catholic Church. Um okay. you can't you can't just make this up. You know, you can't just like yeah. say that it no. was a miracle. It's got to be confirmed. You got to do it at least twice. And it's got to be twice. Once could be a fluke. Um and so Mother Teresa, you know, you, you got to have two miracles. One of them is that there was some kind of a metal brace. I'm, now I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering the specifics. Uh, some kind of a metal brace that they that they pressed against her corpse or her tomb, and then they pressed it against a woman with like stomach tumors, and the tumors went away. So the idea here is that like Mother Teresa's corpse imbued a chunk of metal with some kind of God power that was then transferable through space on the metal to a woman, then went through her skin and healed her of her tumors. All I'm getting out of that is, uh, listen, we need to make this girl a saint, so make up a story about uh, whatever. She heals people yeah. after she's dead, even now. Write it down. Totally happened. The the woman who was uh, apparently healed when they were interviewing her, uh, even even said that she had to speak fast and don't interrupt me because I might forget it. Um, <laughs> nobody went too deep into that, but it seems it seems like she was trying to remember a bit of a script. Uh, yeah, like the 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 bubble boy kid who flew in his dad's UFO inflatable balloon. Right, right. Quickly lie on national TV. It'll be fine. That was crazy. I remember when that happened. That was <laughs> that was absurd. Okay. Um, I, I I like and 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 that's that's actually a direct quote right from Revelation. Uh, John says like he even makes sure to say his name at the beginning of the verse. I watched the city, New Jerusalem, where God lives, right. arrive and come down. He watched it descend to the new earth. And Christians do sometimes disagree on whether this means that the city will like come out of deep space and you know stop somewhere nearby, or if it will actually land. Um, some biblical commentaries actually flat state that the city will not only land on Earth but will land specifically on Mount Zion in Dru- in, uh, in Israel. Um, well, judging as you said, like we can know the size of the city, and I know you. I think you're going to get to that, but um, it would look like at least partially like that, that opening scene in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with the size of the city the way it is, it would be sticking out. Oh off yeah. Of the planet. Yeah. This, this is, this is about to get weird. And this is part of why I wanted to leave with Christianity. Cause it's kind of, I, I, this is, it, it's, it's just, it's silliness. I, I really, I really enjoy this. Um, Okay, so if there's a Mount Zion on the new earth, see, the, 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 the old earth and the old heaven are no longer needed. They end up getting, like, destroyed. But then God makes a new planet, um, and it's basically earth, but it doesn't have a sea. Um, I don't know if that means a specific sea or if that means all oceans. I've heard some Christian apologists say that there will still be, like, an ocean, but it will be a ring around the outside of, like, a Pangea-style massive continent. 
Um, I've also heard that that literally just means that there will be no salt water bodies left. Um, nobody, nobody quite knows. Um, but if there is a Mount Zion, interesting that, and if it's a new Earth with land masses and 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 mountains, um, then the new Earth would be very much like the old Earth. Um, it has similar locations and basic things like topography. Uh, there are still at least some natural laws in effect as things have measurable dimensions and objects are physical. Gates are needed for movement in and out of the city. Uh, the names of angels and the tribes of Israelites are written on heaven and can be read. John sees things from a vantage point on a mountain with an angel, suggesting he is still relying on physical eyes with limitations to witness all this. This raises two questions for me. One, how is life going to survive on New Earth without the ocean? And two, what effect on the Earth will this city's arrival have? If it lands on Mount Zion and is basically Jerusalem 2.0, that raises a slight problem when we talk about room. Uh, let us know what, what the Bible says about the size of God's city. It is 12,000 furlongs wide long and tall some believe this is describing a cube while others say it is a pyramid in either case a furlong is an eighth of a mile so 12,000 furlongs is about 1500 miles 1500 miles okay at the end of all things let's 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 recap at the end of all things god is going to show up in a flying city that is 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles across, and 1,500 miles tall. He's then going to park it on a mountain in Israel. Or more precisely, he's going to center this huge thing on a mountain and flatten parts of three continents. A 1,500 square mile city landing on Mount Zion would cover Israel, Jordan, Iraq, Kuwait, Syria, Lebanon, Cyprus, half of the Mediterranean Sea, Egypt, Turkey, Armenia, Georgia, Saudi Arabia, and at least part of Sudan, Libya, the Red Sea, Iran, Greece, Bulgaria, the Black Sea, and the Persian Gulf. Damascus, Mecca, Medina, Beirut, Baghdad, Istanbul, Athens, Cairo, and Alexandria would all be pulverized by the trillion tons of gold God brought with him. Presumably, none of these places exist on New Earth. And none of these places are occupied by humans, because if it was occupied by humans, while you cannot die in heaven, you could be trapped underneath a city. So if God decides to land a 1,500-square-mile city in the middle of the Middle East, and anybody happens to be in the blast radius, they're going to be pinned between the Earth's crust and the bottom of New Jerusalem. Yeah, and this is what I was talking about. The height, 1,500 miles tall structure, pierces through the thermosphere and sends several hundred miles into the exosphere. There's, that's a pretty big hole in the ozone layer. Uh, with the height and perspective, the Hubble telescope orbits at about 380 miles above the planet. And the International Space Station is at uh, 249 miles. So, you know, 
you can see the International Space Station with the naked eye. If the conditions are right, if it's flying over your part of the world and it's a clear night, you can actually see it. It looks like uh, it looks a, a lot like a star, but you know it's moving across the horizon. And you can watch it for about four minutes before it disappears from view again. Um, it's pretty. I've done it. I did it. I did it once. Uh, there's a there's a there's a website where you can go and it will it will tell you when you can see the ISS. It's really really neat. It's it's up there. It's really really high. Um, the Hubble telescope is even further away, and still that would be in the bottom fifth. Of the height um, of God's new city? Aside from the moon landing, the farthest astronauts are away is 400 miles. You know, aside from when they went to the moon. Right. Yeah, this would um, – and, and most satellites, the, 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 just the little ones, the, the, you know, we've got hundreds of them up there. Most satellites are closer than, than the ISS. Um, this, this city, on top of being ridiculously heavy – would shoot way, way up through the atmosphere and just be like mostly in what we think of as space. The top of it would be anyway. Now, I guess that's not a problem if you're God. Uh, and if you can't die, people... It's going to be cold, though, on the top floors. It's going to be chilly. Um, Oxygen is going to be pretty thin. Gravity is going to be a little weird. It's going to be, yeah. But, you know, just like, just like, uh, just like, other stories, you know, God can just dismiss those pesky little rules and do what he wants. Then, you know, great. He's supposed to be all powerful, right? So why not? Um, it, it all begins to feel like the Noah story in that the imagination of the author is limited by their lack of scientific knowledge and their human perspective. Yet they carry on describing God's actions as supernatural anyway, chaotically stomping through the narrative, working inside reality whenever they can, and relying on God's infinite power to suspend the laws of nature everywhere else. Nothing wrong with having mountains. After all, it's a planet. Common sense suggests there will be mountains. That's obvious. But where sensical descriptions are abandoned for the feverish scribblings of delusional storytellers, physics and chemistry are replaced as needed with God can do that. God's plans seem to have one foot planted in reality and another in magic, gleefully switching between the two at will. No attention given to consistency or explanations that are more satisfactory than the classic cop-out of omnipotence. Yeah, all right. Now, the wall that's around it, it because the city-state is having a big wall around it. The wall is 144,000 cubits tall, which is nearly 41 miles. Uh, the purpose of the wall, uh, yeah, like what, what is the purpose of the wall? Is it like, is, is heaven fortified? Is the new Jerusalem fortified? What enemy will there be in heaven? What limitation could an enemy of heaven have that keeps it from navigating over the wall? Regardless of the details, the description tells us that people in heaven will no longer feel sorrow, loss, or sadness. Uh, but we do feel these things now. It's part of being human. To no longer feel those things would change what we are. When I reflect on memories about family members who have died, I feel sadness. This is part of who I am. We are, in a sense, our collective experiences, regardless of whether or not we would, be, we would label them as good or bad. Our experiences shape who we are. We are saved as memories. If, uh, if I were to wake up in heaven incapable of feeling sorrow for those I have lost, 
I would no longer be me. Right. Right. You know, the Bible talks explicitly about there being no more tears, no more sorrow, no more loss. All of these, all of these things that you know might sound. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we no longer, if we no longer had to cry? I, I, I'm rather attached to the emotion that we call melancholy. There are times when, when I can indulge in that. Um, the right song can can make me feel melancholy, and that's 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 not a bad thing. Um, feeling sad now and then is not only natural, but it's healthy. And it certainly is, is part of who I am. The, the, the spectrum, I think, needs to be complete as we are able to understand it uh, in order for us to, to see what we have. If, if you're incapable of being sad, what does that do to joy? Yeah, the sweet just ain't as sweet without the sour. Right, right. It's... Uh, it's a little weird to me that that God wants us to have those emotions here, but would just do away with them once we're in heaven, and you know deny us part of being human. That's that's valuable to me. Um, all right. Well, that's 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 basically what um, you know. There's there's plenty more to Revelation, but I I, I love the fifteen hundred mile. Uh, city landing on a mountain, which is not Mount Zion, isn't like a mountain the way that like we think of mountains. You know, it's not Everest. It's not right. Like <laughs> Mount Zion is a hill. You know, it's it's. You know, I'm sure it was impressive. If everything is flat, you know, that's that's impressive. You know, when I when I took this trip, we were we were we were back east, um, and we were uh, uh, my wife and I were talking about how she was technically seeing. Not in great detail because we were mostly on the interstate, but she was getting to see uh, a little bit of the Smoky Mountains, which she had never seen before. And she was thinking, you know, I grew up in the Rockies, which are, you know, in her words, real mountains. Uh, they're they're much bigger and they're and they're more jagged and they're they're daunting. You know, they're 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 really really big. And while that is technically a mountain range, comparatively, it's it's lower and more sloping and softer even more so when you're talking about mount zion this is this is like the hills in the desert uh so the idea that god's going to take a 1500 <laughs> mile city and land on on this little hill and that's going to be fine uh god damn that's 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 just ridiculous uh, the other thing is and, and i don't know exactly is the city itself all of heaven, or is the new earth? Because God made a new earth and new heavens, right? So presumably the the old earth. He said it says the old earth and the old heavens have passed on, passed away. They're gone. Mm-hmm. They're destroyed. Um, so the people who are going to go to 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 this heaven um, are existing wherever while that while that's taking place. Mm-hmm. And then a new earth is formed. That's awesome. Has no ocean. Because the ocean was bad for whatever reason, right. and um, is that is all of the new earth heaven, and then the city that comes down is just specifically like God's like office building, basically. Yeah. The, the, so this... um, my my question about that is, even though it's very big and it extends into space, uh, it is still a finite amount of volume, finite sure. amount of space. So there's going to be um, 
people in there. And I'm just wondering, like, the logistics of that. Like, if you want to go kick it with Jesus and God in the in the main in the main thing, is there like a velvet rope? Is there like a bouncer? Yeah. Like, got to be a key, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to take to take a number and uh, and wait your turn. Oh, you're not dressed right to get into uh, <laughs> God's city. You should go back and change that shirt. Yeah. The um. Oh, let me let me find this real quick. Um. Uh, there's a there's an old poem and I've heard um, a few people uh, quote it uh, most notably Christopher Hitchens likes to um, likes to recite this um, it says we are the pure and chosen few and all the rest are damned there's room enough in hell for you we don't want heaven crammed We don't want heaven crammed. Oh, they seem to be thinking that, you know, yeah, there's, there's, and, and this is probably tongue in cheek, but I like the idea that, that heaven's only so big and, you know, like, like going to the mall, you know, you want to be there when there's not huge lines. Well, you and I experience this, uh, at least I do, almost on a daily basis because uh, we live in a state that's not very populated. And um, when I talk to the uh, good old boys, as we say that we're born and bred here, they say, I like it that way. Don't, don't let the secret out. Don't tell, we don't want people moving in here, cramming it all up. Hmm. There is an exclusive club membership idea to the entire thing. I got in, you didn't. Religion very, very often lends itself to sectarian thinking. Uh, it's, it's, it's traditionally, historically always been about, you know, of course we get it. Of course we you know, we're, we all think the same way. And so we are, we are this little, we're this little club. Um, and the vast majority of the rest of the species, they're all lost. You know, they're, they're going to be in heaven. Um, they're, they're in heaven for, for all time. Uh, they're in hell for all time. Uh, you know, they, they, they aren't safe because only, only our denomination, only, only yeah. the right. We are the true Scotsman. Correct. Right. Uh, Zafara said, "The new earth is not heaven. It will exist until Armageddon." I was reading about this earlier because that's that's what I understood when I was uh, a kid, uh, when I was when I was a Christian into my early twenties that that God would um, that God would create the new earth and the new earth would last for like a thousand years, I think, and then uh, after that, then there's like another process. But um, I was reading quite a bit uh, online, and I was looking at some uh, some biblical commentaries um, and some uh, some some the writings of some pastors, and most of them say that that no, the new earth is heaven. Like once the city, and and even in uh, Revelation, when when God's city arrives, he says, "I am the Alpha and Omega. It is done." Which doesn't lend itself to, okay, on to phase two of three. Right. What they were saying was, that's God's, God's arrival. That's the trumpets. That's the awesomeness. Uh, the new earth is built after the, the, the Grand War, after Armageddon, after all of that has occurred. That's the, that's the last thing that happens with this earth. It gets destroyed, and then a new heaven and a new earth, this heaven referring to like a new, 
a new um it might even be a whole new universe there are there are three heavens in the bible right that's what i was just getting ready to say yeah the three heavens because as far as us saying that uh the christians can't even agree on, on what heaven is or where it is or who gets in but there's yeah there's three levels to to heaven or there are three different heavens there are, there are three heavens I, I the the what i've what i've been able to discern seems to suggest that um the reason that there are three heavens is because language is is limited and when you're translating things a lot of times you end up using the same words for for different things that today we we would never use the same words for so the the according to modern christian apologists the first heaven is like the atmosphere the second heaven is the universe, all the galaxies, all the stars, and the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. Um, we 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 watched a video yesterday where um, a guy was actually suggesting that third heaven encircles second heaven. It, it encompasses the, the the known universe, like which suggests. <laughs> Yeah, like an orc cloud to the universe of heavenness. The that suggests to me that that if if you're if you're following the line there, where okay, the first heaven is tangible; it's right there. It's it's like attached to the to the earth in a way, the atmosphere. And then the second one is observable; it's also tangible. It's it's there. It's the, it's the universe at large. It's the galaxies and and the nebula and all that stuff out there. And then the third one goes around that. Well, that very much implies that it is also tangible, and maybe not observable because we can't see the edge of the universe yet. But that's not to say that it couldn't be observed at with a powerful point. enough telescope. Like if you got in a spaceship that was that was impervious to limitations, and you could fly from here to the edge of the universe, would you punch through into heaven? You should start seeing angels. But and and it, but this is the, where the like we talked about before, where the failure comes in when God knocks down the Tower of Babylon, so you're getting too close to heaven with it, but. Surely we're getting closer now right. by sending ships out into deep space. Yeah, we've got uh, the Voyager probes are about to, as we talked about during the Scientology episodes, right. the Voyager probes are about to leave. If they haven't already, they're about to leave the solar system. So uh, God needed to confuse the languages because 150 people, uh, you know, built like stacks by standard. Yeah, it would be adorable compared to what we can do now. Like the Empire State <laughs> Building is a thousand times taller, but God doesn't need to confuse the languages again or like break the internet, whatever the modern equivalent would be. He doesn't seem to have that same issue today. Um, okay. I, I thought that, and, and we're actually, uh, we're already an hour in, so we might have to pick this up a bit as we go through Islam, because I, I really wanted to, to hit on the Islam stuff. Um, but this is so much fun. We've been doing, uh, as we always do, a lot of lead-up research uh, in order to do the show. We, well, we, it's, it's, not, it's not rare for us to go through you know, dozens of hours of, of uh, videos, maybe a documentary, uh, uh, read a book if, if, if needed to, to try to get a good grasp on the topic, and still you don't know everything about, uh, about a topic. We just, we just try to get the, the most interesting stuff that can compile a good episode for everybody. Um, but 
in this process, and this, this happens with a lot of the episodes, but it especially happened with Heaven. It seems like people are like, well, Heaven's going to be awesome, and it's perfect, and it's going to be in the presence of God, and God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and so I have free license to just do whatever. Why limit myself? Like, it's basically imagination land. Let's anything <laughs> – there's no limits. There's no boundary. Why not just go for it? And so I wanted to very briefly um, go through the list of some of the craziest things that we learned this week about heaven and hell inside of Christianity. Surely not by like the mainstream. Surely your average, you know, Methodist church isn't going to say any of this stuff, but there are people who just kind of can't help it and just go full on, imagination with it anything that i can come up with is definitely in heaven there was a there was a woman oh i've forgotten her name now i should have written it down um and she claims to have visited heaven because of the grace of god i don't know if this is in her dreams or what uh like a thousand times she says that she's been to heaven and she can remember it all and so she tells people like what heaven's going to be like based on her witnessing it firsthand um and there were some other people that also make some extraordinary claims. It's got to be my favorite. She says that one part of heaven is great. This is where you can celebrate holidays. It's called Christmas Town. See, there's not a lot of weather in heaven. You don't have to worry about rain and sleet and cold wind and all of that. But sometimes you might want to see some snow. And so God in his infinite wisdom built Christmas Town. And Christmas Town, interestingly enough, built on the notion of Christmas, presumably, which comes well after uh, all of the events of, of the Bible, um, built Christmas Town, where it's basically like a winter wonderland where you can go and live in a snow globe, essentially. You can, you know, it's, <laughs> it's pretty snow, but you don't get cold. And, you know, maybe you can make like a snowman or it's like a new it's like a new definition of uh, snow angels. Right. Uh, if you're if you're in heaven doing all of this, um, uh, what's what's something else that we that we learned about Christianity this week? Hell is the hell is the source of global warming because of increased soul fuel in the center of the earth. Oh my God! <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Yeah, that's not that's not about heaven; it's about hell. But still, oh yeah, I've I've actually come across this a couple of times. I had somebody in a scope one time. Um, Tell me that um, this is this is why global warming is a thing. Hell is an actual place, and it's located under the crust of the planet Earth in our solar system. And that the more people that die and get sent to hell means more souls. Those souls well, are on fire. That's just scientific. I mean, the more logs you put in the fire, the hotter it gets. Makes sense. I mean, it common sense. I don't know how you can refute this stuff. It's, I mean, duh. You know, you claim to be uh, a man of science, right there. Your science. The more fuel to right. a fire. Come on, man. They're they're meeting me halfway here. You know, it's it's a it's a, it's a <laughs> rational explanation. You know, the Earth is getting hotter. You got the tools. Make something with that. <laughs> oh God. Okay. So. Hell is burning hotter and hotter as more and more wicked people go there, and that is making that is making the planet warm up. Uh, in 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 heaven, Christopher Reeves teaches you how to fly in an amusement park with roller coasters. 
That one's that one's fun though. That'll be it fun. is. I would actually want to do that. I would take those lessons because you know how uh, Christopher Reeve came up with those movements for Superman flying. How? He he was a hang glider pilot. And really? so he he used the 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 movements and poses the way he shifted his body and his hands out in front of him when he was flying a hang glider. He used that for his representation of Superman flying. That's so uh, I would take those lessons. Those would be yeah. legit lessons. It would be it would be legit. Yeah. Um uh just very, very beautiful in case anybody wanted to look this person up. Um uh our good friend Kat is Kat just just sent me a message. It's Kat Kerr, K A T K E R R. That's the uh that's the I went to heaven lady. Um maybe I'll even tweet that for you guys later. It's 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 delicious. Just watching that that video is a lot of fun. Um okay. Uh, Christopher Reeves teaches you how to fly. Now, my question about this is Christopher Reeves died in like, what, the late 90s? Um, right. So that's a new thing. It's either well, a new thing. No, even the early 2000s. Yeah. yeah, it could have been. I, I don't remember exactly when he died. I, I, it doesn't matter, though, because either you couldn't, li- you couldn't fly before this or somebody else was teaching you how to fly, and they and lost, they lost their, job. their job. Yeah. Christopher yeah. came in and took their job. That sucks. There's some guy who just loved teaching people how to fly, and then he's got like, goddamn. Probably Reeves. Amelia Earhart. Ooh, good. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. just, and then, then, and then it's another thing of you know misogyny and chauvinism as well. So take the job from heaven. Starting the to look shitty already. <laughs> I wonder if uh, if uh, the guy who plays um, uh, Superman in the new movies will take Christopher Reeve's spot once he dies. Yeah, for sure. Okay, there are uh, – somebody else uh, was explaining in a, in a fantastic video that we watched that there are 12 portals from heaven. I don't know if this is like uh, a misread of the 12 gates, but there are 12 portals from heaven um, where the angels will come during the end times, like the portals will open and the angels will come pouring out, I guess, for like the battle of Armageddon. Um, it doesn't matter why it's portals guys. Um, and, and there are, according to this person, there are two, two of these portals are in California and they are positioned on either side of Los Angeles. And so when the angels come through, like the North Angels and the South Angels will move towards each other, and they'll demolish Los Angeles in the middle. This was this was oh. explained by this woman. She was so excited. She was just like, "Yeah, fuck L.A. We're gonna kill well, those people." City of Angels now, so that's why they call it that. Good point. Yeah, that could be why. If you got two, uh, the twelve is a is a number that's constant because when we were talking about, you know, when. Earlier, when we were, Zaparo was saying you can't, uh, Christians can't decide on where heaven is or what it is or who goes there. Um, when they're talking about, like, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe like 144,000 people are going, and that's the uh, uh, Af- young Athlon saying that that's the, the 12 tribes of Israel, you know, 12,000 from each tribe. So right. they have this fixation with this number 12. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, one wonders if if the if New Jerusalem would have had different measurements had it been dreamed up by people on the metric system because they used furlongs and they wanted it to be. Uh, oh no, that's that's twelve thousand. I'm, th- I'm thinking about the wall. Would the wall be different? It's one hundred forty-four thousand cubits. Would the wall have had different dimensions had it been in meters 
but if it had been designed by a culture using the metrics, yeah. Well, um, it would have <laughs> it would have changed the dimensions of heaven. Um, but it's not man based at all. No, no. And just because you're using the most common uh, measurement of a culture doesn't mean that that culture invented the narrative. Obviously, God is speaking their language. Right. And designed heaven based on the, me- the, the, the system of measurement of the culture to which he would eventually reveal himself. Right. Okay. Um, I, we both kind of fell in love with this. Will you, will you, will you give us the, uh, the Jewish allegory about the difference between heaven and hell? Yeah, uh, this was fascinating when I came across it, across this, I thought this was great. Uh, the Jewish allegory of heaven and hell is the, um, allegory of the long spoons, people forced to eat with long spoons, um, in hell. So I, I also imagine these are like sitting at like long tables, like, I don't know, I'm thinking of like Oliver Twist or something like an orphanage. Right, right. Uh, in hell, people are unable to lift foods in their mouths because the spoons are so long they can't, they're just beyond their reach of, of sticking their arm out straight and getting to the food to their mouth. The, the allegory has also been um, explained not with long spoons, but with... Uh, splinted arms where you can't bend your elbows and and the same effect is that you can't get the food to your mouth and um but the the thing is is that in heaven the same exact thing exists is that either your arms are splinted or the spoons are too long to bend but in heaven instead the people feed each other across the table and so it's like probably uh an, a story to encourage people to be kind to each other, to treat each other uh, nicely. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 uh, it's an interesting, it's a, it's a neat little like uh, like fable, like you know, it's like a little lesson. Um, and surely they don't think that that's that that's literal. Um, it's still interesting to me that, you know, you're, you're in heaven for, for a while, like, you know, you're there for a minute. And if all you're doing is sitting at a table with a long spoon, uh, it never occurred to anybody like, you know what? Okay. I don't like you and I'm not a team player, but I'm kind of hungry at this point. So fuck it. I'll feed you if you feed me deal. Like nobody thought of that. <laughs> but you know, you no know one, it's, yeah, uh, no one thinks of it in hell. My, I told my daughter this, uh, story and uh, she she likened hell to prison and she said prisoners are pretty smart I think they'd have figured it out beat each yeah. other there you go yeah it's 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 not that complex of an idea but yeah you know, I, I think we're I think we're probably looking at it too too deeply it's not really meant <laughs> to be taken literally um, Judaism is famously vague about the notion of heaven and hell the most commonly held view is that Jewish faith is really about this life and living it in line with God's will. Uh, heaven and hell are not focused on the way that the later Abrahamic religions obsess over eternal reward and punishment. Many Jews basically believe that after death and purification of the soul, they will return to the state Adam enjoyed in the Garden of Eden. This is poorly defined, but it seems to vaguely mean that they will be back in communion with God, which is viewed as holy, pleasant. Um, I've, I've noticed this uh, just throughout life, that 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 jewish people they don't they don't really talk about it that much it's 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 there um but they don't really 
jump into the details. They don't, they don't try to um, explain uh, heaven and hell with any kind of detail the way that Christianity really, really tries to get in there. It, it's, it's kind of a vague notion, and they seem content with that. Yeah, uh, one of uh, the guy was saying, uh, we do believe in a type of hell, but not one found in cartoons and joke books. Hell is not a punishment in the conventional sense. It is, in fact, the expression of a great kindness. The Jewish mystics describe a spiritual place called, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, Genome, Genome. This is usually translated as hell, but a better translation would be the super, uh, uh, the supernatural washing machine, because that's exactly how it works. The way our soul is cleansed in genome is similar to the way our clothes are cleaned in the washing machine. Put yourself in your sock shoes, so to speak. If you were to be thrown into boiling hot water and flung around for half an hour, you might start to feel that someone doesn't like you. However, the fact is, that it is only after going through a wash cycle that socks can be worn again. We don't put our socks in a washing machine to punish them. We put them through what seems like a rough and painful procedure, only to make them clean and wearable again. The intense heat of the water loosens the dirt, and the force of being swirled around it shakes it off completely. Far from hurting your socks, you are doing them a favor by putting them through this process. So too with the soul, every act we do in our lifetime leaves an imprint on our soul. The good we do brightens and elevates our soul and every wrongdoing leaves a stain that needs to be cleaned. If at the end of our life, we leave this world without fixing the wrongs we have done, our soul is unable to reach its place of rest on high. We must go through a cycle of deep cleansing. Our soul is flung around an intense spiritual heat to rid it of any residue it may have gathered and to prepare it for entering the heaven. Of course, this whole process can be avoided. If we truly regret the wrong we have done and make amends with people we have hurt, we can leave this world with clean socks. <laughs> I like that. It's, it's cute, and it's so, um, it's so Jewish. Right? <laughs> I, I, I love yeah. that the story, like, you know, think of the sock, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of cute. And I kind of appreciate that... Um, you know, okay, you know, uh, it's still a ridiculous narrative of sin, and and all of it is still based on, on weirdness. But uh, the idea that hell isn't like, fuck you forever, but all right, so God's going to clean me up, and it might hurt a bit, but then afterwards, right. you'll be good. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's slightly friendlier um, than what the Christians or the Muslims say. Um, we're, we're going to, we're going to try to get through the Islam narrative. We want to thank cat is cat. You guys should be following her on Twitter, uh, and on Periscope. Her handle is all hallows night. I think on Periscope, it actually is cat underscore is underscore cat. Um, she, uh, took some time last night and she, she built us a rundown of, um, of, of what, of what Islam says about, uh, heaven and hell. And we're going to, we're going to re- reference her notes, uh, in order to try to give everybody a, a, a bit of a, a bit of an understanding of all this. Um, I didn't know a lot growing up about, um, Islam faith and, and most of what we know about Islam is kind of pulled through a pretty worn perspective in the West. Um, so I, I really wanted to kind of jump into what they have to say about this. Um, 
Muslim paradise is called Jannah. Um, that's their that's their that's their heaven. So sometimes we might be referencing the word Jannah, and that just means heaven. Um, they have conditions for going to paradise. Um, you've got to believe in God. Um, his angels, his revealed books, and his messengers, you've got to do good deeds. It's important to admit wrongdoing and ask for forgiveness. It is important to forgive others in turn. Um, you're supposed to give and spend freely. Uh, use the wealth that you have here to, to help others. Um, maybe a little bit of charity is a good idea. Um, recognize and face the trials and struggles that God gives you. There's a, there's a, there's, there's a, a pretty big point that the, that the Quran makes about this, the idea that all of the people that came before you had to, had to suffer and had to face trials. So like, if you're not facing trials, you're kind of doing something wrong. Why aren't you having to deal with, you know, life's bullshit because your forebears did. So whenever there's adversity in life, that's God's trials. Um, and you must fight in the name of God um, or as, as will often be referenced Allah. Um, according to the Quran, the basic criterion for salvation in the afterlife is the belief in one God, angels of God, revealed books of God, all messengers of God, as well as repentance to God and doing good deeds. Though one must do good deeds and believe in God, salvation can only be attained through God's judgment. So there's no uh, guaranteed way. It's not like I declare Muhammad to be my savior. Boom, you're in. You still there seems to be just a little bit of. Ooh, I think I'm in, but you got to wait to see God um, uh, when, it, when it comes to Islam anyway. Um, those who spin freely, whether in prosperity or in adversity, who restrain anger and pardon all men, for Allah loves those who do good and those who, having done something to be ashamed of or wrong their own souls, earnestly bring Allah to mind and ask for forgiveness for their sins. And who can forgive sins except Allah? And never abstain in persisting knowingly in the wrong that they have done. We we do get some descriptions of paradise um, from Islam. There are eight gates to enter, and you enter them according to how you lived. Um, there are gardens of perpetual bliss, uh, lavish, opulent structures, clothing, jewels, and furniture, food that is always delicious and never rots. Uh, life free of hurt, sorrow, hunger, fear, sickness, death. That's pretty similar to what Christianity says. Servants, you get servants and sexual companions. Uh, these are provided to the men. And you get to see, meet, and hang out with God, uh, which is considered the greatest joy above all others. Like, you've got, you've got basically sex slaves, but getting to meet God is, is, is still better than so, that. So God's great, man. Is paradise in Islam only paradise for men? Like it could be paradise for lesbians, I suppose, as well. <laughs> right. Um, well, um, I, I'm not sure if... Well, I like, if you're a woman in, in paradise in Islam, is that heaven to you? I truly doubt it. Um, if, if you got in at all being, being a homosexual, um, the, the, the Quran clearly states that women are second to men. Um, the, the Quran is, is, and the Hadith are, are 
deeply misogynistic. Um, and it, it, it talks again and again, uh, driving the point home know. that this is starting to feel like, uh, a man's idea of heaven, not a, not a real place, but go on. It, 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 it again and again, the ideas of, of heaven often, uh, coincide with what the writers yeah, have walls and gates. Yeah. It's got four yeah. or less gates, so it's not as good, but not quite as good. Um, well, maybe it's more know, secure. Actually, it's more secure. I mean, less, that's a good point. Less points to guard. Fewer things to have to defend. I mean, um, obviously, you need the walls and gates. So, I think the important thing, if we were talking about uh, a, a lesbian in in Islam paradise in, in Jana, um, I think the the important thing in God's eyes would be that she is a woman, not that she likes women. Um, sexually, so, so she, would, she would still be for a man. Yeah, she's still, you know, yeah, women can have one husband um, in heaven, but you you can't like she wouldn't be given uh, like like sex servants um, because she's a woman, and you know, women don't deserve that kind of opulence. I suppose um, there's there's pretty significant detail in the Quran, the Hadith, um, uh, exegesis, and and. and in, in the in the doctrine of Islam that that describe paradise, um, it's usually described as having material delights, um, water and beautiful maidens, uh, especially appealing to the de- the desert dwelling Arabs. The people who wrote this would have thought, you know, what would be awesome? What would be tantamount to paradise? Lots and lots of water everywhere, because um, you know, right, fuck yeah. the desert. Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. If you're living in the desert, that that sounds pretty good. Um, the true beauty of paradise is also understood as the joy of beholding um, God, the Creator. Um, actually, I need to jump ahead just a little bit, and there is so much good information here, but I don't want to run out of time. We still have Hinduism to get to um, here. Let's let's. Let's talk about the food. Okay. They will eat delicious food and drink, and every bowl will have a new taste. They will take uh, irritation, which will digest the food, and there will be perfume sweating uh, for the digestion of water. Inhabitants will rejoice in the company of their parents, spouses, and children, provided they will admit they were they were admitted to provided they were admitted to paradise, conversing and recalling the past. So you get to hang out with your family. You know, if they got in, I'm not sure if they're here. Ooh. On the list. Sorry. Yeah, that's a point that I'm gonna expand upon later. This this idea yeah, you can be with your loved ones if they're here. You know. Yeah. If 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 they got in, if they were good. Um it's 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 about to get pretty crazy because what we're going to talk about here is some of the other pleasures uh, that are in um, heaven. And it starts off um, a little bit normal, and then it starts to get like real, real explicit. Okay. So those on the right – what people they are. They will dwell amid thornless low trees and clustered acacia with spreading shade. 
constantly flowering, flowing water, abundant fruits, unfailing, unforbidden, with incomparable companions we have specifically or specially created. Virginal, loving, and matching age for those on the right, many from the past and many from later generations. For these will be the ones brought nearest to God in gardens of bliss, many from the past and a few from later generations. On couches of well-woven cloth, they will sit facing each other. Everlasting youths will go round among them with glasses, flagons, and cups of pure drink that cause no headache or intoxication. There will be any fruit they choose, the meat of any bird they like, and beautiful-eyed maidens like hidden pearls, a reward for what they used to do. It's, it's very um, hedonistic, and what I find really interesting about um, Islam's description of paradise is that it's kind of in direct violation of their narratives of sin on earth. Um, now, it does, it does mention that you're, that you're not going to get intoxicated. You won't get a hangover right. from this drink. I've also heard about rivers of wine where you can sit around and just drink all day. Um, it's, it's apparently only, only in this realm where these are bad things to do. Once you're in paradise, go to town. But as we were saying, uh, and I had to look this word up, they will take erectation. Uh, they will digest the food. There will be perfume sweating for the digestion of water. Um, this, this seems to be to get away from the idea of you having to like, take a leak ever or actually actually oh. have, have a shit. So uh, erectation is like belching, basically. So you digest food that way, and then it goes away, so there's no waste. And you perfume sweat for the digestion of water. So instead of you actually having to urinate, it comes out through your, pure, your pores, and it smells nice. It doesn't, it's not oh, like urine. It doesn't stink like piss. Yeah, yeah it's, real, it's real nice. It's real, real pleasant. Um, it goes on and on. There's, there's a lot in here. Um, rivers of That's water, the, milk, honey. Uh, the rivers of milk and honey. Jerusalem is uh, described that way. Heaven's described that way in Judaism as well. Um, but the um, the idea in in a lot of the especially the monotheism religions is um, embarrassment or hiding our bodily functions, whether that be sex or uh, defecation or urination or anything they can think of that we do naturally to mm-hmm. shame that, to make that a, a bad thing. And then that's going to be different in paradise. We're not going to do that. Right. Yeah. You'll, you'll no longer do like basic fun. Again, fundamentally well, changing what we are. By the way. Right. <laughs> I wonder if, I wonder if pooping is a, is a side effect of original sin. Uh, <laughs> if, if Adam and Eve didn't poop because of, of course um, they didn't. When we talk about uh, when they talk about who gets into Jana, now we read the 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 qualifiers, the things that you've got to do. Um, but there 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 is the possibility of some non-Muslims making it into paradise. Um, uh, monotheists who died before Allah revealed Himself through Muhammad are spared or can be spared. Um, certain Christians will get in. One sect of Jews will be allowed to enter. Um, the, the, the Quran discusses how the Jews split into 71 sects and one of them will go to heaven, the others will go to hell. Um, but atheists always go to hell. That's, oh. that's, 
that's written in stone. There's no way for an atheist. Doesn't matter if you're good. Doesn't matter if you're if you're if you're bad. That's not what what gets you in that in the heaven or hell. Uh, it's the it's the lack of belief in God. Um, that, that was number one hell. on the list, wasn't it? Belief in God was number one on the list. So I think that's right. A biggie. Number one, we're 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 automatically out because we lack belief in God. Therefore, we are destined for hell. Um, it, 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 Muhammad talked a bit about about certain sects, uh, maybe maybe a certain sect of Christians being able to get in. Um, not all Muslims are going to get in, um, and and it, it goes on in some detail. Um, but what I what I what I really want to get into is this stuff right here. It's so good, so much fun. Yeah, perhaps the greatest difference between the Islamic paradise and the Christian heaven is related to sensual and sexual pleasures. As noted above, men will have the companionship of their early wife or wives, as well as many uh, Horus. However, marriage is presumably sex. Horus? Yeah, Horus. Presumably sex and procreation as well are not present in the Christian heaven. Quranic commentator Al-Suwiti died in 1505, an Orthodox Muslim theologian such as Az-Al-Ghazili and Al-Ashiri graphically elaborated, elaborated sensual pleasures attributed to Muslims in paradise. Al-Suwiti wrote, each time we sleep with a Hori, we find her virgin. Besides the penis of the elected never softens, the erection is eternal. The sensation that you feel each time you make love is utterly delicious and out of this world. And were you to experience it in this world, you would, <laughs> you would faint. Each chosen one, uh, i.e. Muslim, will marry 70 Horus besides the women he married on earth and will have appetizing vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> they will all have appetizing vaginas. I love the uh, if you if you experience it in this world, you would faint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would just drop if you had if you had heaven sex. Couldn't well stay conscious if you had sex like that here, bro. Couldn't handle it. Of course, you wouldn't be able to stay conscious it. anyway with an eternal erection. That alone would probably no make you pass out. Yeah. The erection is eternal, which I love. The erection is eternal, which means, well, an even better pleasure than sex is getting to go meet God. You're doing it with a boner. Yeah. It's eternal. So you get done having sex. You're still hard. Put on your pants. Go hang out with God for a while, just awkwardly tenting in your pants, and then back to the Horries later <laughs> for some drink and more, and more faint with sex. It's fantastic. It's, well, with the – yeah. with the It's not awkward. With the 70 – Horries, you're you're like, oh, bro, this this tent all the time, perfect. That's a great thing. Appreciate. I love the I love the idea of Allah just walking through paradise, just high fiving dudes, just like, yep, full on <laughs> erection, right? It's bomb. Oh my god, that is so much fun. Okay, um, we got 28 minutes. Uh, I don't know that we're gonna get to everything. Let's let's. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump through. Uh, I thought it might have to be. We, we, we I, I just like every time we could have done two episodes. I should have seen yeah. it coming. Um, uh, okay, um, let's see here. Uh, okay, there are nearly 500 verses, which is basically a twelfth of the Quran, uh, which speak about hell. It was specifically created and prepared with eternal fire by Allah, so that He could torture disbelievers. In fact, 
Disbelievers are the fuel of Allah's fire. We're back to the global warming thing. Hell is the means of Allah's punishment by which he punishes those of his servants whom he wishes. Punishment varies according to a person's deeds. Hell has seven gates for seven classes of sinners, and angels are appointed as hell's overseers. Yeah, um, it doesn't – now, Islam talks a lot about jinns, which are kind of like desert demons, like little little you know, naughty beings that live in the desert. But um, they, seem to, they, seem to, they seem not to talk about demons uh, ruling in hell, and in fact, their version of Satan does not live there. Hell is a different realm – um, that's ju- that that Allah rules over, and angels are like the guards of, where you know people just get people just get tortured for uh, for being uh, you know non-believers. So as atheists, um, here's what we can look forward to, and and uh, I, I feel terrible because I mean, Cat like nailed all this information. There is like this this perfect college level description of the judgment and condemnation. Uh, the last days on earth and, and how people will be treated in the graves. Um, after you die, you end up being put in a grave where you have to wait. See, heaven and hell in Islam aren't like active yet. You're, 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 I mean, it is and it isn't because you end up, you end up dying and right after death, you get to go and like see heaven for a second. And then you get to go and see hell for a second. So like you get that knowledge, like, Oh, you get to sample it for just a, for just a minute. Oh, that's and like then, Charles Dickens wrote this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you get, you get, once they start to like prepare your body, it like snaps your, your consciousness back into your um, back, back to like earth. And you watch, um, you watch the funeral procession, the, 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 the preparation of your body and your entire funeral. And then once you're buried, you, you warp back into your body and you lay in your casket, right? And you're just there. There are these two angels that show up and come to you in your casket and they like uh, do like an inquisition. They like, they like interrogate you about what your religion is, what you believe. They ask you all of these questions about, about Islam. And if you get them all right – then they give you like a bigger, better casket to chill in. If you get it all wrong, then you just stay in your bullshit casket and you just live in there like conscious until the end times. So there are at least a good chunk of Muslims on the planet that believe that all of the dead Muslims underground are just twiddling their thumbs in their caskets waning. That is sanity. Okay, let's let's get to uh, what happens in hell. There's there's a lot more description than there is in the Christian Bible. Um, Jehannam is the is the word for hell. It's a place of blazing fire. It appears in almost every verse of the Quran that describes hell. Uh, Jehannam, Jehannam, Jehannam is described as being located below heaven, having seven gates. Um, uh, it also mentions that wrongdoers have degrees or ranks according to their deeds, which scholars believe refer to the seven gates. Um, the one mention of levels of hell is that hypocrites will be found at the very um, bottom. The fuel for the fire of Jehannam, according to the Quran, are sinners, disbelieving jinn and stones. The fire burns their skins, changing the color to black due to its intensity. Its wretched inhabitants sigh and wail. Their scorched skins are constantly exchanged for new ones so that they can taste the torment anew. Drink festering water and through 
and though death appears on all sides, they cannot die, are linked together in chains of 70 cubits, wearing pitch for clothing and fire on their faces, having boiling water that will be poured over their heads, melting their insides as well as their skins, and hooks of iron to drag them back should they try to escape. Their remorseful omissions of wrongdoing and pleading for forgiveness are in vain. The 70, I mean, uh, 70 cubits uh, of chains. Um, there, I watched a video earlier of a Muslim describing hell, and he said that the that everything would be made of fire or that everything was on fire. He said both things several different times. Uh, he said that the biggest thing he said repeatedly was that if you believe it, it would be a horrible place to go. Kept saying that. But mm. that the fire there would be 70 times hotter than fire here. Wow. Um, you know, I maybe you've heard of this, and it's just occurring to me now. I seem to remember reading or learning at some point in my life that um, – like the worst kinds of burns that can that can happen. Like if you took a blowtorch to your arm, like a like a like a third degree burn, um, it it like melts your nerve endings faster than you can feel it. Where right, if you get burned with like the most extraordinary heat known to man, it's it's doing so much damage so quickly that it doesn't actually hurt. I'm sure it's not pleasant, but it's not like it's not like, you know, if you had like a first or second degree burn, oh my god, it hurts. A third degree burn, from what I understand, I could be very wrong about this. It seems to me that if you if you are if you are 70 times hotter than right. than heat on earth, like you're just destroying the body, you might not even you might not even know it. It might yeah, just feel like the the problem there is that you're applying logic to the narrative. I am doing that. I am doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Quran states the punishments will be the burning of skin only to be replaced for reburning garments of fire to be worn and boiling water that will scald the skin and internal organs and faces. Faces on fire, lips burnt off, backs on fire from side to side, faces dragged along fire. From side to side. From side to side. Um, bound in yokes, then dragged through boiling water and fire. And wearing a pair of sandals on fire so hot that it will boil your brain. Um, it's always followed – when they describe this, they always talk about the contrary protection of paradise where whatever terrible things are happening um, in, in hell, you know, the opposite in, in heaven. Uh, hell is said to be filled with venomous snakes and scorpions, pain from whose venom will last for 40 years. Um, 40 those who prevent others from following the path of Allah will be punished more severely. Hypocrites are found in the lowest of depths of the fire. Those who spread corruption on top of already having hindered the path of Allah will experience harsher punishments. This goes on. There is more torture porn to be found um, in the doctrine of Islam. This is, this is just like, God damn, guys. Like, what? for real. Whose imagination did this come out of? Clive Barker. <laughs> I mean... It's just suffice it to say that as we continue on, it, it's just more of the just like worse than you thought you could imagine. It's just really, really, really bad. There are no second chances. You can't get back out. You're begging and pleading for forgiveness. You're not giving it. God's just like, nope, fuck you. Um, and, and, that, and that goes on 
that goes on uh, more or less forever. Um, so the, the heaven and hell narrative of Islam is complete hedonistic uh, pleasure where, you know, you, it's like, uh, it's like some old, some old painting, you know, like naked women with peeled grapes and you're lounging on golden chairs and hanging out with God and having sex all the time, uh, you know, next to the rivers of honey and milk and wine versus, you know, torture inside of torture wrapped in a big ball of torture with a torture bow on top. Um, now I hate to do this. If there are any Mormons or ex-Mormons listening, I was going to get to the Mormon idea. We don't have time. So I'm just going to skip Mormonism entirely. Um, it's, it's interesting to look into. It's, uh, a lot of it is derivative of some of the Christian ideas, but there are some, there are some significant differences that are rather interesting. If you don't know a lot about, uh, Mormon afterlife, uh, go and go and look that up sometime. It's um, it's interesting. But I want to touch very very briefly on on Hinduism, um, and I was even going to give a, a bit of a description of of what Hinduism is because I found that while it's a major religion on the planet, um, one of the one of the largest numbers of adherents of the of the major religions on the planet, I knew very very little about it. Um, basically, there's a, a there's a there's a Hindu godhead. Some of the older texts describe multitudes of gods, tons and tons of gods. Um, but in modern times, and there's also gods for like different provinces, different towns, different different locations uh, in the Indian subcontinent. Um, but basically, the godhead is the trinity of Brahma, the creator, Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer. Uh, close to half of Hindus consider Vishnu to be the supreme god and the source spirit of Brahma and Shiva, who are personalities of Vishnu. But there are people that, of course, disagree with this. You're going to have different denominations in any religion. Um, and, uh, and so there are, there are different sects that, that believe different things, but they all consider themselves um, Hindu. Um, their idea of heaven and hell, though, is a bit different. So you've got to have the idea of karma, your deeds, a virtuous, a virtuous being that does good deeds, upholds morality, and does its duty towards society. Uh, religion and humanity will ascend the hierarchy of life, the lowest being insects and animals rising to man, then some divided into castes. The most virtuous of the highest caste can find moksha, or liberation from the cycle of rebirth, and enter swarga, or heaven. Uh, this is this is relying on the idea of reincarnation. So if you're if you're a good animal, uh, whatever whatever that whatever that means, uh, or, or or a good insect, then you get to earn a higher birth. Once you die, uh, you can then become a human. Uh, then you're inside of the caste system. You can you can every time you die, you have an opportunity if you were really really good to to go to higher parts of the caste system, and eventually uh, you, can, you can become the, the best kind of person and you can ascend to heaven. If you're a rotten human being, um, then, you, then you go back. Uh, you, you get reborn as an insect and, and have to start all over. This, this, this seems to just kind of uh, go on for a while. All right, so... From creation to the end of the universe, time is divided into eras called yuga. <clears throat> the first krita yuga, or satya yuga, being the age where life was perfect, truth, justice, and peace prevailed, and there was no human suffering. 
the situation deteriorates over the next two yugas, Treta, Dwapara, before we enter our times as the Kali Yuga, where immortality, untruth, and human suffering are maximized. No exact measurement of time really exists. Some interpret the yugas to have lasted tens of millions of years with lives of human beings lasting hundreds of years over the earlier ages of piety. A change from those who say the world is only a few thousand years old, but just as unscientific as and no better, as this view still considers life only getting worse. Heaven and hell, swarga, is heaven, and narka is a term for hellish environment. A key distinction from Christianity and Islam is that neither is a permanent destination. If your conduct is in heaven is unbecoming, you will be sent down to earth to re-enter the cycle and birth. You have earned, you you have to earn religious merit all over again by being a good person. Hell is like jail. You serve a definite definite sentence set for specific crimes. All human beings will have to spend at least a small token of time in hell for any little sin, lie, or fib they have committed. However, once time is served, you can be reborn as a higher being or enter heaven. So this doesn't. This doesn't seem to have uh, a beginning or end. I think that there actually is a potential narrative for like the final incarnation where time eventually ends and the game is over. Um, but for, for, for all time so far and, and until whatever end event occurs in, in Hindu belief, it's, it's a constant cycle. Um, you're born of something and you're always, you're always jostling for, for position. You're, you're trying to be good if you want to be born as a better thing, or you're looking forward to sliding back and becoming an insect or an animal, um, or, or a person lower in the caste system if you do bad things. Um, and eventually if you, if you, if you go insect, animal, human, and there are four levels of the caste system, you reborn four times as four different humans and you make it to the top, the top part of the caste system, then you can be accepted into heaven, but that's not permanent. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird because we, we think of heaven as being like, once you're there, that's it. Um, but in this, in this idea, you're, you're in heaven for like a while. And then, you know, maybe you start to act shitty or, you know, you're, you're, you're a dick to somebody in heaven and so, um, you know, you end up you end up dying in heaven and getting reborn um, as something lower, um, either a lower human or an insect. Interesting that, <clears throat> interesting that uh, the person that you were being addicted to say they were doing it right. Like, well, if they're going through their heaven and they're doing the right thing, so they're not going to get tossed out of there. But you were addicted to them. That makes their heaven experience not very heavenly for at least that moment. That people That's a good can point. be a dick to you <laughs> and get kicked out. Right. If your behavior is unbecoming in heaven, bother coming to this club. <laughs> right. <laughs> if if your if your behavior is unbecoming in heaven, um, then that would that would be something immoral. And immorality is defined as how we treat other people, what we do that affects others. So yeah, you're right. Uh, doing something bad in heaven would would kind of have to have 
an effect on others. So there's no mechanic in place that makes Hindu heaven perfect for eternity. Um, it, it's clearly a desirable place to be, but it's not, uh, it's not quite the, the disgusting, sickly sweet opulence of, uh, of, the, uh, of the monotheisms. Well, um, I think we should we should do like an episode at some point, um, maybe, and we should we should maybe jump into Hinduism a bit, just because it's it's one of those things that I that I still know too little about. Uh, my knowledge of Hinduism could be could be much better than it is. Um, that would be that would be an interesting thing to to, to kind of break down and try to understand uh, what's being there because it is uh, what is it is it the is it the third largest religion on the planet after Christianity and Islam? Yeah, I'm not sure, but my knowledge of it begins and ends with Temple of Doom, so I might just brush <laughs> on it, <laughs> brush up on it as well. The 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 term uh, is actually uh, like a root word for a physical location, like uh, the geography of of either a particular valley or of all of India. So um, Hinduism, like uh, Christians, are people that believe in Christ. But Hindus aren't people that believe in like Hindu. Like they, it's not it's not as direct. It's more anything from this region is Hinduism. There are uh, there are Hindus that uh, insist that that all Buddhists are also Hindus because it originated in the area that denotes itself to the name Hinduism. Um, they 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 want Buddhists to to say, okay, yeah, I, I, my subclass is, is is Buddhism, but I'm a Hindu. Uh, like that's the umbrella that I'm under. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. I, I we should uh, we should we should definitely learn more about uh, about Hinduism. That would be awesome. Okay, well that was um, that was a lot of fun and and while we are getting better at this, sorry that it got slightly rushed there uh, during the Islam part. I probably went a little too long about um uh Trump and Obama and all of that at the beginning um and uh, no I, you know I think that we probably just maybe needed to do two shows one for heaven and one for hell once we got into it I thought wow yeah we're just not going to get all to it so all this information that we found yeah yeah you're probably right oh well anyway it was it was uh, it was a good episode I'm glad that we uh, that we got to learn about um about Islam a little bit more and about uh, the Hinduism reincarnation. And, and again, uh, go out and learn something about, uh, about the Mormon concepts of, of the afterlife, because that is also very, very interesting. Now, we've been through these major religions, and all of these narratives of heaven and hell are merit-based to an extent, save one. Have you noticed? Christianity by by far the largest religion on the planet, takes the strange step of removing all personal responsibility from the individual. Their God takes no consideration of good or bad when determining who should have access to heaven or who should burn in hell. Good deeds, unimpressive. Terrible crimes, not an issue. In the Christian worldview, good or bad behavior as best, at best influences conditions once in either heaven or hell. And even that view varies wildly and lacks clarity. Instead, being destined for heaven or hell is based on a single choice, accepting Jesus as your personal savior from the imagined trappings of sin. 
This is a theology that preaches that while the universe was created for us by a loving God, while our world is designed purely to sustain the human primate, we are the wretched beings born unworthy and full of sickness. This all-loving God brings us into existence already sinners, and upon conception, not just destined, but deserving of endless torture in the fiery pits of hell for an infinite amount of time. From then on, forgiveness incarnate ignores us for eternity, offering no opportunity for redemption, no drop of mercy, no chance at appeal. The moment we have direct knowledge of these otherworldly planes is the moment it is too late to put that information to use. Compared to God, we are infinitely stupid and ignorant, yet he gives us but one human lifetime to commit ourselves to something unseen while denying us the requisite methodology to take rational responsibility for our actions in the face of eternity. After all, the Christian God is oddly obsessed with epistemological trolling. That which is true cannot be proven and instead must be taken on faith, occasionally supported by chronic confirmation bias and a strong reliance on logical fallacies. The tools we rely on to understand any other concept, including the reliable hallmarks of science and the immense power of critical thinking, must be circumvented and dismissed in the face of claims that, if true, would be the most consequential aspects of existence imaginable. Here, where it matters most, we are meant to dismiss all things reliable and instead proceed with indefensible and unjustifiable confidence in the immeasurable. Determining that one profit from one book is singular among thousands of similar claims as true, whilst the rest are indiscernible deceptions, is the only way to actively move oneself from the list of the inherently damned to the book of life. Christianity is amoral. Its one indivisible demand of its followers is to employ faith to first believe in sin, then in the grotesquely imagined place where sin is punished, and finally in the supernatural properties of a Messiah whom alone saves us from hell, sending us instead to the only other place available after death. The most vile, cruel, violent, sadistic person is accepted with open arms if only he suspends his cognitive consistently, consistency sincerely enough to accept the entire narrative as true. The most helpful, progressive, loving, altruistic person will surely burn forever if they remain autonomous in thought and will. Christianity relies on the narrative that you are a terrible person by nature, fated to be permanently punished unless you use faith to believe in a particular version of a particular God. Right and wrong by any other metric be damned. Believe in the unknowable, go to heaven. Don't, go to hell where you belong with the rest of the thinkers, hateful and loathsome all. This is where Pascal found fertile ground for a new philosophical apologetic argument for belief. To paraphrase, it is better to believe in case there is a heaven and hell than to assume there isn't and risk damnation. This strikes me as grasping for motivations where there are none, and there are some basic logical problems with it that I won't get into. But I find its most fatal flaw is the presupposition that heaven is good. I, for one, am unwilling to deny my humanity, my intelligence, and my birthright to human knowledge in order to cast my lot in with those who would surrender their moral sovereignty in order to get to the transcendent and inescapable realm of the Abrahamic God. A place identical to hell is required in required length of stay, but with a slightly worse form of endless torture, endless worship to a deity who is, as described, antithetical to every conviction I hold. A place devoid of the pleasures I hold dear, free of the beauty of the unknown, and free of half the emotional spectrum that defines me as a person. A place where the authoritarian, thought-judging, liberty-hating, misogynistic, callous, vengeful, and cruel God of the Bible demands constant devotion and praise. This, to me, is torture of the mind no more favorable than hell's torture of the body. Once there, how precisely am I to maintain any level of dignity? 
How can the delights of heaven be fully enjoyed with the knowledge of the unspeakable horrors being suffered by my fellow beings in a parallel realm? Is that knowledge to be removed from my understanding? Do I simply stop feeling empathy and grief for those people existing in unnecessary anguish below? If so, I am fundamentally changed as an individual, in which case it is not I who is doing the worshiping, but an altered shell rewritten by the very being who puts such emphasis on free will. I say no thank you. Given the choice on the minuscule chance this particular theology has accurately exposed the nature of reality unseen, I am forced as a person to grit my teeth and select the lesser of two evils, in this case, hell. The only reasonable approach to these kinds of extraordinary claims is skepticism. Logic and intellectual consistency allows us to avoid the naive and costly purchase of the ugly notions presented by this doctrine. I have often been accused of being an atheist merely so I can avoid confronting the dichotomy of heaven and hell, and I will admit to being rather glad that there is absolutely no evidence to suggest they exist. What a dreary existence this would be, knowing that one day soon, after the inevitable final page of my story is signed, one of two versions of endless agony is waiting to swallow me. One of the best parts of living in this particular time is being free of such ancient superstition. One of the most confounding is that so many people insist on clinging to it. Heaven and hell are poorly defined, cartoonish in description, and completely unbelievable as literal fact. One wonders if the torture porn of hell's depictions would have been necessary if there was any actual evidence to support the claim that it exists. The tactic here appears to be the ceaseless reinforcement of fear in place of anything that could actually be regarded as convincing. Fortunately, we have every reason to believe that death is the end of a finite life, not the beginning of an unbearable eternity, either serving an infinite punishment for a finite crime or worshiping the narcissistic bully who crafted the arbitrary rules of damnation and rules over this sickening cruelty with self-righteous, self-righteous authority. Believing in this demonstrates a poor standard for evidence. Celebrating it demonstrates an awe-inspiring level of masochistic desire, self-loathing, and submissive fantasizing. Your dignity should cost more than fear. Stop salivating at the opportunity to surrender it to an abusive patriarch. You are worth more than that. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. This has been the Informed Secular Minds podcast. We want to thank Young Athlon 399 for hosting us on Periscope this evening. And a big, big, big thank you to Cat is Cat All Hallows Night on Twitter for helping us with the Islam portion. She did a lot of research for us last night. You can follow myself at Dopinephrine on Twitter and Periscope. Follow the show at ISM Podcast underscore. And follow Scott at El Duterino on Twitter and Periscope. He's going to be talking for the rest of the week about... Uh, the age of the earth, how we can determine how old it is, what people think about the age of the earth. Please engage with him on Periscope and on Twitter on those topics. Hit us up on patreon.com slash informed podcast to help us out with the show. And we will see you next week.